This is episode 234 of IDRA Class Notes. You know, we were constantly on the defensive fighting against bills. And that's important because the reality is that there's a lot to fight against. There are constant attacks on queer and trans children, on children of color, teachers of color. But I think that there is a huge need to be proactive and being imaginative because we shouldn't just be fighting against, we should be fighting for what we want as well. I think that really building morale and a base of people fighting for something that we can all agree on, I think that that can be really powerful in the legislative context. Hello, welcome to the Class Notes podcast series featuring reflections from IDRA's Education Policy Fellows. My name is Morgan Craven. I'm the National Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Community Engagement at IDRA. And I'm so excited to host this podcast series along with my incredible colleague, Michaela Arciaga, whose voice you can hear in episodes three and four. During this podcast series, you'll hear from our Education Policy Fellows, who are so amazing, Steve Kingang, Diana Long, Alicia Tuff, Jonathan Peraza Campos, and Ruth M. Yoon. Please check out their bios and work using the link in this podcast. Today, our fellows will share their reflections about the legislative sessions in Texas and Georgia, including what they learned about state-level education policy making in the South, what it's like to be an advocate of color fighting for educational justice, the good, bad, and ugly of the legislative sessions, and their thoughts on the future of advocacy. Welcome, everybody. Are we ready to get started? They're nodding yes. So I'm going to start with the first question, which is to all of you. How would you describe the work you did during the legislative sessions in Texas and Georgia? And Deanna, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Yes, thank you, Morgan. So for me, being able to work in this session was definitely a roller coaster ride. There were days that I was pumped up about the work that we were doing and really excited about the things to come. And then there was days that I felt very defeated, as a lot of us did, working in Texas politics can be a little bit intense. However, overall, I did meet great, incredible people and advocates. And for me, personally, working on school funding policy as an Edgewood ISD grad from San Antonio was really special. Awesome. Thank you. Steve, how about you? Hi, everybody. I'm very grateful to be here. I would say for me, I definitely echo what Deanna said. In addition to that, I would say it was very uh, eventful and action-packed. You really had to be adaptable, right? It was very much a a balancing act in many ways, constantly sort of having to figure out what aspect of our advocacy work and engagement, whether that was attending hearings or meeting with coalition partners or uh, different lawmakers. I had to really prioritize in those given moments what would be most impactful as far as advocacy work related to making the best efforts and moving things forward for access for our students. Thanks, Steve. And Ruth, what about you? How would you describe the work that you did in the Georgia legislative session generally? It's a big learning curve. It's one thing to hear about the kinds of decisions and ways of going about policy making that go on at the Capitol, but it's completely another to see it in action and to see legislators speak politely and smile and then go on to pass incredibly harmful laws without blinking an eye. And there were times that I felt demoralized and wasn't sure that anything could be done to push for the things our children really need. But something that I found heartening was that there are a lot of people that care. So despite 
not being able to achieve exactly what we want, I think it's good to know that there are still people out there that believe in very good things. I love that. And I know we're going to talk more about that balance throughout this podcast series, but Jonathan, can we turn to you? How would you describe the work that you did in Georgia? Definitely second a lot of what Ruth just said, being on the Georgia team. I think that we all know that power is very much concentrated in these policymaking spaces at the legislature, the Georgia General Assembly. But it was definitely another thing to know and another thing to experience it, to see how these people in suits and ties that are very professional, quote unquote, like they're actively making decisions because they have power in the state to hurt us or help us. And so it was very interesting to kind of experience that really fast paced, sometimes spontaneous kind of cycle of following bills and trying to lobby and and advocate for good policy and against bad policy that hurts children in education. Uh, But, you know, it was cool to be able to be on the lobbying side, but also doing the research advocacy side altogether and, you know, bringing these different strategies together for education policy advocacy. Thank you. And then Todd, how about you? Hello, everyone. I think it's all about the mindset you have. And for me, I'm passionate about everything that I do. So every time I wake up in the morning, I'm happy to do the work that I do. And I just want to create change. And so anyway, I can create change. I want to wake up and move and step into my purpose because I know this is my purpose and I know that whether or not things are going my way or things are going left or right, I'm going to pivot and take action and do what I have to do to make change possible because no kids deserve to be behind bars when they should be in school learning. Thanks so much, Tuff. And speaking of things going left and right. I'm going to ask you to start the next question and then maybe Ruth, if you can share your perspective. What were some of the most challenging issues addressed in Texas and Georgia during the legislative sessions? And how do you think that they were impacted by some of the very large national issues that we're seeing? So some of the things we're seeing in common, like book bans and school safety and anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. Um, What are your impressions of that? And we'll start with you, Tuff, with your perspective in Texas, and then you, Ruth, in Georgia. So for Texas, I would say there was a lot of school safety and security security messaging because May of last year, unfortunately, we had the mass shooting in Uvalde, which many students and teacher lives are unfortunately lost. And so the school hardness safety measures are on the minds of all the legislatures and you have people on both sides coming at the issue at different angles. And so mainly that took over the conversation on the Texas front. And ultimately a lot of bad school security measures got passed in which Many officers ended up being added to schools and many security measures such as adding metal detectors ended up being added to schools. But unfortunately, on the Texas front, we've seen a lot of hardened measures being taken across the nation. 
Thank you so much. And I know definitely something that, as you said, came up in Georgia, other states across the South and around the country, similar to issues like school privatization. We, of course, saw voucher measures here in Texas and certainly in Georgia. And I know, Ruth, you're about to talk about that. But I think one exciting thing about the fellowship is just being able to see those common issues and how they connect to each other in multiple spaces. So Ruth, what were some of the most challenging issues that came up this session in Georgia? So I don't even know if it was a challenging issue that was addressed by the legislature, more so challenging issues that were pushed through the legislature by a large amount of policymakers, which Georgia followed suit with so much of what is already being pushed out across the United States. So unfortunately, we had to refer to SB 88 as our our Georgia's don't say gay bill because Florida already has one, right? And then we had classroom censorship bans, not HB 1084 from 2022, but a completely new classroom ban, library book bans, all targeted this year towards LGBTQ plus and trans related content. And so what was challenging was how close we got to losing on the SB 88 bill. It didn't make it out of committee, but policymakers were really pushing hard on this agenda. The last day of session on Sine Die, a bill was proposed on bathroom bans. So now we have our own version of bathroom bans. And I find that really challenging because it affects students in such a deep and harmful way. Thank you for that, Ruth. I'm going to ask you a second question because I know that you have thoughts. We were talking about like the substance of what we saw come up in the legislatures, but of course, the procedure and people's access to policymaking spaces is also really, really critical. And I know that you as a fellow and your other work that you do in communities are really focused on expanding access that people have. So could you talk a little bit first to you about the Georgia General Assembly? And then Steve, I'm going to ask you the same question about Texas. What are your thoughts on the approach to policymaking generally in terms of procedure, transparency that you observed during the session? In Georgia, so much is still done on actual sheets of paper, which means that it's not accessible to people that are not there in person looking at the sheets of paper. So in addition, if they update committee hearing schedules and rules calendars on sheets of paper and they don't update it online, then that sets us back from having the most accurate information we need to do our work. I mean, this is very strategic. Transparency, that one's interesting as well, because again, we're talking about sheets of paper. When you have a sub for a bill, it's not always updated online. And so at one committee hearing, we had someone opposing legislation using an old version of the bill. And it was very unsettling because we were we were like, oh, no, she's working off the wrong version. And it kind of it erodes your credibility. And so as a, a team, you know, I think it's very important to remember that Policymaking, lobbying is such a huge group effort. It requires so many people, people across organizations, definitely, because you need people checking the hopper. Again, little pieces of paper. You need people sitting in actual committee hearings, people watching committee hearings because you can't be in two places at once. 
and people gathering information from legislators. So it's definitely a very complex process and it requires a lot of people. And I, I hope to bring all of this knowledge and skills back to my community so that even if they can't be there in person, they can still have a say because someone is in, interpreting what's happening. Thank you for that. I'm always shocked and disturbed about the hearing process and knowing that not everyone, even if you are actually there, gets time to even participate. So you named some like really critical barriers to, you know, people participating in the process. And even when you can somehow find the time and capacity to show up at the Capitol, there are still barriers to even the most basic participation. Steve, what are your observations about you know, the Texas legislature in terms of the procedure of being engaged in transparency in the process and people who don't have the knowledge to be able to yet to be able to tap into that? How do they access the decision-making processes that influence their lives so deeply? Great question. Texas certainly has its fair share of benefits, but also drawbacks, right? Benefits, I would say, within the capital, most people have a certain level of access to the different components of the policymaking process, whether that's you know wanting to meet with the representatives, engage with other advocates that are also there on similar topics, just really learning what the legislative process looks like, attending hearings as well um, on certain bills. I, I really appreciated that aspect of it, and I thought that that was very important for people to be able to in, to engage in in what was going on with bills that will impact them. What I also appreciated was the uh, TLO, which is the Texas Legislative Online sort of portal, right, where everything is being tracked, all the bills are listed, and there are regular updates. So one can make an account, and if they're following a certain bill or a certain aspect of policy, you know, they can see how that's moving along throughout session. So, and and that's that's accessible to, to anyone. So I really appreciated that, and that was very helpful to me to be able to track certain bills as well. One drawback that I felt was a part of the policymaking process was oftentimes uh, certain lawmakers would invite testimony of people to testify that were not in Texas, nor had any particular dealing within that field. And I thought that that was sort of unfair to Texans because Texans are the ones that will be, you know, living with these policies or the implications of them, whether they pass or don't pass, right? Yet we have outsiders that are not in Texas um, having to, to deal with the ramifications of what their words on legislation could be. So those are some benefits and some drawbacks that I felt were part of the policymaking process in Texas. Thank you so much for that. And Jonathan, just building on Steve's observations about like challenges to people accessing these processes, can you just share what changes you feel are crucial to make in terms of the way legislatures operate so that we have more space for advocates, for community members, for young people, for families, for scholars and other experts to engage in the process? Yeah, so I mean, I think one thing that I'm particularly sensitive to, and that's not the right word, but something that I, I really think is important is there needs to be more language justice in a legislative context. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we talk about language justice, we're talking about people's right to be able to access information in the language that they understand. And one reality of here in Georgia and throughout the South is that 
Latinos and Spanish speaking people, but just immigrants from different places. We are part of Georgia. We are, we live in Georgia. Georgia is our home, but not everybody is able to understand just the legalese of the legislative process, but also just the fact that it's a very English only environment doesn't make it accessible to people who are otherwise impacted and affected by these policies. But there's just that, that gap in information because of the language barriers that exist. And so I think that really fighting for language access and language justice in the legislative context is really important to bring in other people to build bridges to people who need to be heard, but are being silenced by the fact that there is no attempt to eliminate language barriers. But I think that there is a need for us to be able to mobilize directly impacted people and get them to the legislature as well and to participate in committee meetings and to be able to testify. Um, but a big part of that means being able to provide income replacement and transportation and having funds to do these things, the resources to help people who otherwise can't access these spaces because of language, because of geographic distance, because of just the needs to work. You know, it's, it's a privilege to be able to be involved. And so being able to eliminate all of these barriers, I think, is important. And just making space in as many ways that we can. I think that one thing that really stuck out to me is you know, we were constantly on the defensive fighting against bills. And that's important because the reality is that there's a lot to fight against. There are constant attacks on queer and trans children, on children of color, teachers of color. Um, but I think that there is a huge need to be proactive and being imaginative because we shouldn't just be fighting against. We should be fighting for what we want as well. And that to me looks like really trying to push for model policies that don't exist yet, but we would like to see. And I think that that kind of just garners a lot of support because at some point we get demoralized with all the things that are being thrown against us. But I think that really building morale and a base of people fighting for something that we can all agree on, I think that that can be really powerful in the legislative context. Thank you so much. Those are really good, important, and concrete ways that we can expand this process and make it more accessible for people. Can I ask you, Deanna, just as a final question, and all of you, if you have something to add to this, of course, feel free, but what are you most proud of just personally from your accomplishments this legislative session? Yeah, I think there's a lot <laughs> that, that I'm proud of by working in this session. And I want to echo what Ruth said a little bit earlier that Legislative sessions require teamwork and collaboration among not just lawmakers, but their staff and other various stakeholders. And I am proud of being part of a successful collaborative effort that led to the bipartisan achievement of stopping vouchers. I really take pride in my ability to work effectively with other people and stand up for public education and, of course, transparent accountability, because that's what we're here to do. And having this fellowship experience has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my career so far. So I'm really, really proud of my work, but also of all the other fellows. Like I am so lucky that I got to work alongside Steve, Tuff, Ruth, and Jonathan, and just hearing about the amazing work that they're doing in their, their respective policy issues is just so incredibly rewarding. And I can confidently say that we're in good hands and that Texas and Georgia is going to be good. <laughs> I love that. I'm proud of all of you too. Ruth, do you want to close us out for this episode and add what you're proud of personally from your accomplishments in Georgia? I look back to that moment where I finally had an opportunity to 
to give public comment on HB 338. And I just like to pat myself on the back about it because because you hear about the infamous individuals of the legislature. But you don't know until you really talk to them and like have to face them. And so I faced one of them and I survived and I think I did pretty well. So I'm excited that that I was able to advance our position as far as protecting our students from data privacy issues and surveillance. But also, I think once you stare down somebody like that, then you never have another first time. And everything after that is like, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I, I've seen so many of us do that in this process. Diana, Tuff, Steve, and Jonathan, like we've all had a moment where we were able to do that publicly. So I'm really proud of all of us. I'm going to take a moment of personal privilege and just say I'm proud of all of you for the public speaking that you did too. But Ruth in particular, I'm going to say the link is in this podcast episode. Masterclass for all of you listening, check out Ruth's testimony. It is superb. Thank you all. This has been an excellent first episode of this series. So great to hear you all talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. And I think throw some things on our plates for ways that we need to do this work differently, collectively in the future. And thank you so much for what you've done and sharing your reflections in episode one of the series. Thanks, everybody. See you in two, three, four. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.